Man, I gotta tell you, you can hear by now that things are still not going well. In this episode, we're gonna talk about the Gray Man Adventure Part 2 and answer some questions about my travels, my trip, and the gear, and some of the stuff I have while I'm living abroad here in the country in an RV for the next year. If you want to look it up, look up the word Conquerors and Kang the Conqueror or any other Conqueror and look up the UEV 490. That's what I'm living out of. Before I go into answering some questions, I want to address something I got from Ben. Uh, ben, I do want to let you know that the bag's available. As I mentioned before, when I did the OSINT Challenge, we had two winners. I had a hard time reaching both of you initially, and then you both had serious situations on why you were not able to get back to me. One was due to a death in the family. Yours was due to injuries and things going on. <clears throat> so I, I foolishly only brought one of the bags with me. And this is for both of you. So I'm trying to get the stuff to put together another one or an acceptable alternative to get you both those. So that is my fault. And this whole move has kind of caused an issue with that. And I see you've been taking classes to use your new 1911. That's good. So... Ben says, I recently purchased a Kimber 1911 and been taking classes, including getting my CCW for Colorado, which is good. I always tell everybody, <clears throat> my suggestion is that if you're going to carry a firearm, regardless of the laws of your state, you should go through the training for the CCW, mainly to understand some of the laws that may be different in your state and to preferably, if it's available, get the training from somebody that's a current or foreign or law enforcement they're not always going to be the best there's going to be other people that also know those laws too but they're really good for situational questions if they've been working in those states it says i was raised using glocks and other polymers and i love the weight and feel of the 1911 so i went shooting last weekend with a buddy of mine because i have two 1911s one's a springfield trp and the other one is a wilson edc x9 and the look on the man's face when he got to fire both of those and how good they shoot says, my goal is to practice firing and reloads due to the limited capacity. Any thoughts or suggestions for practical self-defense use? Well, when it comes to practical self-defense, not really. It depends on the caliber you're using. Being a Kimber 1911, you're using a 45. Uh, look into the types of ammunition for self-defense rounds and who makes them and what they're capable of doing. As with any bullet, when you're using a weapon for self-defense, in the unlikely event you're in that situation, especially in a structure or in your home, you want to understand the penetration value of that round and what danger that can cause if you do happen to miss or if, say, the shot, you hit your target, but let's say it was in the arm and it went through, where's that bullet going to go? What's it going to do? So make sure you understand most about that. As far as carrying it, make sure that you always, 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 everybody get a holster that's made for that firearm. That's the number one thing. Don't get one of these universal holsters. Get one that has good retention. There are plenty of videos on YouTube, guys, doing uh, retention videos showing which makers actually have really good re retention. Quite frankly, if you have something that's called a level one where it's just the pressure, essentially, of that holster holding the firearm in there and there's no other level two or level three aspects, you should be able to turn that um, holster upside down and shake it and your firearm shouldn't fall out. If the firearm falls out, it's probably not a good holster. Now, if there's tension and adjustment screws, you can do that too. And then you, of course, want to practice with it. As far as whether or not it prints, meaning if you're carrying it concealed, whether or not somebody sees it is up to you. That depends on where you're at and how you feel about it. And you just kind of kind of figure out how to wear it on your body. A lot more people than they realize could actually carry and hide a full-size 1911. But 
it's not always comfortable everybody it depends on how big you are how it feels when you're sitting in a vehicle if you're wearing like a full-size five inch trying to do an appendix carry and you have to sit down and drive a car it's not always comfortable so you kind of have to figure that out so that's uh, my suggestion for that now story has he's got a cousin who's retired from the marine corps <clears throat> he met and married his wife who's a ukrainian citizen been living near lviv where they recently had a baby girl he's been contacting him almost daily Instead of taking his family to the Polish border, they're staying with their grandmother near Lviv. He purchased the only rifle bay of the time, a Ruger Mini 14, and has been delivering glass bottles from a brewery in the city for making Molotov cocktails. The brewery stopped making beer and started printing anti-Russian messages on the bottle. See, that's, that's how the community comes together. It's my understanding because of the service in the Marine Corps, he's been asked to aid Ukrainian civilians in military training. <clears throat> Good on him for doing that. If you believe in it and you're for freedom, people who want to get involved in those types of things, I'm all for it. Could you comment or share any advice? My first advice for most people in those situations is to get out. I'm sure that based on his training and experience, he's well aware of what he's doing and the risks there. Hopefully he has communicated that to his family and they're on board with him. What I will suggest to you is... Despite what I said in the last video, this indiscriminate civilian attacks have started happening. Even though the fighting is quelled down, I expect to see it ramp up quite a bit. And so depending on where that is in relation to him, one thing to tell him is that attacks against civilians will probably pick up. More military action is likely to come. And while there are some Russian losses and possibly bigger losses coming, there is going to be continued fighting. I would count on that and to just be aware of it based on what's on the ground and make sure that he knows exactly what he's doing and and where his family is uh you know that they're on board with it now getting into this let's see i have a question here Okay, let's see. So here's the questions about my travels. Damn it, I keep clicking off of it. Okay. Great hearing your voice again. Sounds like you've been busy. Yeah, so <laughs> first thing I tell you, I've had an electrical issue in this trailer. It had to do with charging the batteries initially, and then there was... We got that fixed. Um... So interesting thing about this trailer, they essentially have an inverter built inside, but the inverter is made overseas, not in China, and the country that makes it doesn't provide a warranty in the United States, so they added a secondary, essentially a type of generator um, inverter situation that they can warranty. So they leave the old inverter in there as a backup. So the new one, the way it plugs in, I found out first that uh, it had come unplugged. It was hard to get to to see, but it did come unplugged. So then we plugged that in, no issues. Then later on I had an issue that sounded like it might be GFI, but we weren't entirely sure because the way some of the batteries plug in from that generator, the wires, instead of running straight to the battery, uh, run and connect into the back of the 110 panel. The reason for doing that is um, what they put on these wires, the things that they do, it, it can't fit back there. So then I went to a place and got that fixed. And it worked for a couple weeks. Now I'm running the same issue again. And they said, well, if you're running the same issue, it's probably going to be your GFI. So now I got this issue again, which is why I'm still recording on my phone. Because every time 
I travel somewhere and either the weather clears up or I don't have internet, but once I have internet and all the stars align, I seem to run into this problem. So hopefully I can get that fixed soon. Is your dog traveling with you? Yes. Sadie is with me. She's a happy camper. Sadie doesn't like loud sounds like gunfire and I don't bring her around gun ranges, but being where my mother lives near a military base, they did a lot of artillery after the new year. She actually got kind of used to that relatively quickly. So even where I'm at now, the gun range is not far away. It's fairly loud here at the house. She's been outside kind of walking around, looking at things here in the um, gunfire and she hasn't really had an issue with it. So that's been going well. I'm guessing you're traveling on wheels rather than air. Yeah, so if I didn't make that clear before, like I said at the beginning, what I did was initially plan to do all this a couple of years ago. COVID, of course, happens. That causes a huge issue. Then when I'm able to do it, I bought a new truck, got rid of my Cherokee, and got this trailer. Let's see. So, how I travel with my dog. Basically, I have a Ram Rebel. It's a diesel truck. It's a V6 diesel. What's great about that is awesome gas mileage. So being a full-size four-door, there's plenty of room in the back. So I don't put the seats up because they don't fold down flat in these trucks. I got a canvas cover made for animals that she uses to protect the seats a little bit. I have some waterproofing on there. She's got a water bowl back there. And then on the floor, I have boxes I put in there that need to be somewhat indoors most of the time and easily accessible. One box is completely hers that has uh, medical supplies, snacks, some of her outdoor stuff, some toys, some grooming supplies and materials and a few things, dog shampoo, that kind of stuff. So she has her own box. And then of the other two boxes, I got rid of one of them and put them in the trailer so that there's room on the floor in case I need to carry a third person. Or the box I carry in the front floor on the passenger side, I can put in the back if I just want to have a person up there. So it just uh, depends on how I do it. Let's see how you handle your firearms when you travel. So uh, basically how to answer this. I have firearms mainly for training. Minus one I brought to uh, sell to a friend of mine. I have my training firearms. I basically have a range box. A range box is just has range supplies in it. So some basic maintenance supplies, extra magazines, targets, hearing and eye protection, a few other odds and ends that I keep in a box with the rifle. I brought just one rifle to train with. I have a shotgun mainly because I like it, but also if I get into more remote locations or not, not on actual RV parks and I'm in places wherever there could be larger animals, I like to have the shotgun. Um, the pistols I have are mainly for training, um, different types with different holsters. How I travel with them is I keep them all secured, mostly hidden away and locked up, minus at least one that's readily available in both vehicles at any given time. Uh, beyond that, I don't really travel. I go to avoid states where things like magazine capacity are an issue. And I make sure I research what the laws are and 
what I do and don't have to tell a police officer in the event I am pulled over that I communicate to them, you know, respectfully but appropriately because I don't want to go through some, you know, four or five hour side of the road thing where I have to download every single thing in the back of the truck and everything in the trailer and go through it all to figure out everything I am just to be clear that everything I'm doing is completely legal. Uh, let's see. I do have some basic, uh, it says flat tires or car troubles. I do have some basic traveling supplies, you know, jumper cables and uh, that stuff to change the tire. I have a, I carry a uh, couple of buckets that are like the square buckets from old, like they came from companies that sold freeze dried foods. So one has cleaning supplies for the vehicle and the trailer, mostly automotive types, but not all of them. You know, like lots of glass cleaner and stuff that I'm using all the time. And another one carries basic fluids. I can tell you an issue I ran into, though. This is a fun fact. So not just a, a, a diesel in general, but also this 6V6 Eco Diesel. One of the issues I ran into was that it's very hard to get the filters for them. So I was coming up and needing to get some uh, oil changed. Now, on this vehicle... You change the oil about every 10,000 miles, and I started looking at about 9,000 miles. I was stopping in towns to where I just didn't care anymore, and I'd pull up to, say, a Jiffy Lube or Oil Can Henry's. They wouldn't have the filter. Some of them were calling every other oil change company, even not their own, as well as, like, auto zones, Napa's, within 20, 30 miles, and nobody had the filter. I've gone to Dodge dealerships that didn't have the filter, and I finally got to one that had one left. And then because of what they have to do to change it, it actually costs a little bit more. The other interesting thing, too, is the manual, of course, suggests rotate your tires when you change your oil. Again, I just like to follow the basic manual stuff. They told me just because of the wear and condition and everything, they didn't said, you know, you probably don't need to change it. And I said, well, by the time I got my oil changed, it was a 12,000 miles. I said, look, here's everything I'm doing in the next like seven weeks and uh yeah i'm gonna i go in may i'm gonna be getting another oil change so go ahead and rotate them they're like oh yeah yeah no problem so that was interesting Uh, other than that i haven't had too many issues um being from the military we do a thing called pmcs preventative maintenance checks and services so when you have like a humvee or a truck you do some basic checks where you're checking fluids and tire pressure and refill influence and does it run right and all this basic stuff i actually do a lot of that on the truck i check for leaks i check my fluid levels really the only things i'm refilling a lot is the window washer fluid just from road grime from traveling so much and changing environments like i'm still in arkansas right now for another week i got out here and uh my buddy and i actually got the truck and trailer stuck because it had rained but not for several days and it was a lot deeper mud than we thought pulled it out next day i got it situated everything was fine for a couple days and then they said oh there could be a rain snow mix and some higher elevations will get up to two inches of snow we're like all right so we're going shooting that day it was last friday so the guy was on his way home from work it was maybe 1 30 i said it's sleeting a little bit and he's like okay so he gets in here and it starts actually snowing we're gone in 15 minutes we're driving a mile down the road to the shooting range and uh there's a pretty good covering of snow by the time we got back after only being out there maybe an hour 
Um, it was still snowing. It snowed for about five hours or six hours, and we had almost five inches of snow on the ground. Of course, Sadie loved it. She loved snow. She's part Pyrenees, so she loves snow. And then it was all gone by the next afternoon. And then now it's been raining for almost 12 hours. And the ground's a little soft, but one of the nice things about this RV, when you look up that UEV 490, it has awnings that come out on each side, 180 degrees. And then you can tie it in front and back to give it full coverage. It goes out about seven, probably my, I think it goes out closer to eight feet from the trailer. Then it has canvas walls. I can completely enclose this. And the walls have three doors on them in three locations. Glad I did that because it's very helpful with the rain. But under the awnings, which is more like being in a tent, the ground's a lot harder. Just walking outside, it's noticeably softer from all this rain. And it's kind of concerning me because I'm hoping the weather gets better because my plan was to leave here probably Monday or Tuesday because my real issue is I am only probably 20 feet from the road and my issue is going to be hooking up the trailer one because <laughs> that was how I parked it was crazy. And then once I do that, getting it out of this um, screwed up situation without getting it stuck. So that's going to be fun. Do you use physical map or do you rely on GPS? Well, despite privacy stuff that I talk about on here, there's certain things I've always said that you can't, you can do it all the time, but life gets boring and difficult. I, I use physical maps. I do a lot of research in some areas where I'll, even if I just get on a digital map on the internet and check where things are and make sure I know where things are. But I generally use the GPS, especially when driving long distances over multiple states. It, it's different when... I'm on, say, I-40, which is a major interstate in this country, and I'm traveling from Flagstaff all the way to Little Rock. It's a straight shot. It's not hard to do. But there's other places where I've had to use county roads or switch multiple freeways inside of a city, especially um, depending on the time of day you go through. They'll make recommendations based on traffic. It's very helpful. But I do have both. I also have a book, because you didn't ask this question, but because I travel with an RV, I joined a couple of clubs, Passport America and Good Sam. So Good Sam will get you like a 10% discount on an RV spot or a camping spot. I don't care about that. I usually get it anyway for military discounts. But they give you 10% off at like pilot, gas stations, and um, another one. And that's, with gas prices now, very helpful. The other one is a first-come, 1st first serve thing, but it lists off what parks are around you. You go there if it's a recognizes the park and you have to you can't book usually can't book ahead of time sometimes you can and you ask them what's open and you can get up to 50 percent off so that's helped save money and i've aside from having the apps if i want to check the apps i actually have a a book that's the size of an encyclopedia that shows they put good sam puts out every year shows stuff all over the country but i still like looking them up on the internet because more and more you have photos and i ran into that issue in stone mountain they didn't have actual photos of the campsites. I had this whole issue of changing campsites. Let's see. Have you encountered law enforcement? So I have, but not in the typical fashion. Uh, first thing I noticed driving across the country right now was we, of course, know of and heard about how there's a supply shortage due to a trucking shortage due to a driver shortage because of COVID. A couple things I noticed. I've traveled across the country across multiple states many times especially in the last 20 years 25 years since i joined the military you get used to seeing trucks semi-trucks hauling goods you get used to seeing them 
at night, at day, you get used to seeing certain amounts of them. You get used to the idea that there could be miles and miles of basically a long convoy of these vehicles. Hardly ever see that anymore. I see about the same amount of vehicles most of the time, day and night, and it's not a lot. I'm actually really surprised when I'm driving near major cities and I don't see, even within 100 miles either direction, a lot of trucks. The other thing I notice is places like California. California doesn't really mess around, especially with speeding. And like a lot of states, they have the rule of here's your speed limit. But if you're on, say, a truck, you have to drive this far under it. Driving through California when I went to Washington, I saw one truck doing the speed limit. All the rest of them were going over the speed limit. And the cops were all over the freeway, and they just didn't care. I think some places are just kind of letting them get away with a little bit more so goods can get where they need to go. Funny enough, though, even though I don't see a lot of trucks, I know these guys are out there really working their asses off because if I pull into a rest stop, day or night, but especially night, it doesn't matter what state I'm in, they are packed, loaded with trucks, more than I've ever seen them. And I pay attention to the ones that are there, and then if I sleep there and get up, they're still packed, but there a lot of them have changed out. So I think a lot of the long-haul drivers are spending more time on the road doing more stuff. Then I ran into a guy in Mississippi. He was a former warrant officer and pilot just after Vietnam and talked about what he was doing. He mainly transports household goods for military families to military bases, and he was explaining everything I just told you is pretty much how it is, and guys are driving a lot more and getting to do a lot more things, but working really working their asses off. Now, as far as cops go, though, when I got to Arkansas, the buddy of mine, one of the places he works, he works in a couple places, is essentially it's a uniform and badge store that sells... Like non-lethal stuff, body armor, and pretty much everybody who comes in there is some sort of law enforcement. I have met so many uh, deputy sheriffs from counties around here, city and town cops, detention center people, security guards. Got to talk to a lot of them. Real nice guys. Uh, the only other issue I had was where I'm at, there was a couple of dogs. Because in this city where you're at, any nuisance animal that causes any damage gets on your property you can shoot it well i don't want to go shoot a dog but dog tried to bite me and bite my dog and i told the lady if that happens again your dog's probably gonna get shot then we had the sheriff come out explain the rules explain the law to her she starts crying i feel bad but don't let anybody know and then she got smart and got a leash for it but other than that i haven't really talked to him do you use a radio detector? Nope, I don't. I stopped using radar detector about 15 years ago. Mainly, I was I was using an excuse to drive too fast and I didn't need to. But even towing this trailer where I can easily drive 75 down the road, I'm not in a hurry to get anywhere. And I'm actually driving with the trucks um, or trucks passing me quite often. I'm driving under the speed limit. When I park the trailer and drive, like I went to Little Rock yesterday, I, I drive the speed limit. But I don't really, I don't have a need for it. And I just personally don't care. Do you sleep in the vehicle or get hotels? I sleep in the RV. I haven't got a hotel yet. Um, mostly the RV parks have hot showers and laundries. And then when i traveling like here and I meet friends of mine, I can use their hot showers and their laundry. So I haven't really had a need for the hotels, and that saves money. RV parks are most of the time, for what I need, are about the same price as staying in a very, very cheap Motel 6. So even if I was wanted access to, say, a shower and I wasn't going to stay in a place very long, you know, you travel, you hit a hotel, maybe you're in there 12 hours, it would actually make more sense for me to 
go to an RV place because it would be cheaper. You would have only parked there for 12 hours, just have access to the shower. When that's not an issue, or I know I just want to get somewhere in a couple of days, I just pull into a rest stop next to the trucks and I, I sleep in the trailer. Let's see. Oh, if I did stay in a hotel though, would I use name or alias? So that's more and more difficult, um, especially with major hotels because a lot of times they want a credit card. So if you're going to do that and you don't want to use your real name, which I typically do not, one of the things you need to do is make sure they take a prepaid credit card. Uh, but even then, there's a question of whether or not they want ID, but some places are okay with you using an alias or a slight version of an alias, like maybe your first name and not your real last name, or they want your real last name, not your first name. That's kind of shady that they do that. They probably shouldn't be doing that, but I've done that. Typically doing straight cash transactions and putting whatever name you want are usually seedy, not really good, reputable places and not a place I'd want to probably stay in with this trailer and leaving it outside even though it's all locked up. Uh, that's the biggest reason. And then that and the cost, I just I just don't do it anymore. Let's see. How hardcore are you in privacy? I think I pretty much covered that. Um, I don't tell a lot of people what I'm doing. I So I actually, it's kind of interesting. It's impossible for me to go somewhere and not have somebody want to talk about this trailer. And when you look it up, you'll see why. But nobody really asked me what I'm doing or where I'm going. Or I think one guy did. And I told him where I was going, but it was the place I just came from. Because I'm at a gas station. He didn't know. But mostly, if I get involved in conversations and people want to know a little bit about what I do, nobody... It's interesting at RV parks. Nobody really asks your name, but they'll talk to you. And I tell them, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm retired military and I'm a private contractor. And I'm just traveling around seeing friends from the military. It's typically what I tell them. Only when I get places where I am training people do I get a little more detail and share kind of what I share in here about what I'm doing. But I don't really have the privacy issue. So the only things I do where privacy might be an issue is going to RV parks using my real name. But I don't really care about that because here's the fun thing. When people are looking for somebody, even if they know they're traveling in an RV, they'll go look at hotels and try to figure out where they stayed before they'll even go to an RV park to see if they were there. It's kind of crazy that they don't think that far into it. So that kind of helps with privacy. But I don't really run into that issue. It's just, you know, I went into Little Rock to go shopping and pick up a few things. No big deal. Nobody asks you those kind of questions. They don't know if you live there or not. So it's not, not a huge issue. But there's also a little giveaway for it because traveling and training, like the security company here, when I, I'm, I'm coming back, I'll get into that in a minute, but there's stuff, of course, I have to give up privacy on because of the work I'm doing. You know, I got to tell them who I am given the bio write-ups, class descriptions, things I'm doing. I cover all that kind of information, so you give a little bit of that up. I'm actually going to start telling people on here my name. I just haven't gone through the whole process. I was going to do it because I've got to get this electrical issue fixed so I can quit recording this on my phone. But I'm kind of giving up on that because I've got a legit business going now, trying to get the LLC set up in multiple states if I can and get that all working you also asked do you mostly use cash do you not mind using your card i don't mind using my cards but i use cash too it depends on what i'm doing so it's interesting if i'm at a gas station and i'm buying fuel 
I use a card. I use a credit card because I get the points because I'm spending a boatload of money on fuel. And the points are helpful because one card, it converts to cash. Another card, it's confused to gift cards I've used before for stuff that I buy. That's the biggest reason why I'm doing it. Now, when I do that, let's say I walk in the store, I'm going to buy something to drink. Well, it doesn't really matter at that point if I use the card because the cards already been tracked to that location. But I actually find myself using cash a lot, mainly because if I want something in a gas station, like a drink or coffee, and I'm not going to just make it in the trailer, I'll, I'll use cash a lot, even though I've already used the card, because typically there's not a lot of people there and it goes, it's not a big deal. And it's just habit. But there's been times where I've been at gas stations, it's been pretty packed, so I just use um, the card just to make life easier. So when I do stuff like in Little Rock yesterday, even though I'm in the area of Little Rock, when I went up there, everything I did was cash. Um, there's almost like a, a dead silent hole of where I'm at right now um, for a couple of weeks because everything I've been doing is cash, buying coffee and cash. I haven't been really needing to spend money. And one of the times I got fuel here, I used cash. Just this kind of this disappearing thing where if you tracked all my movements, you'd see me in another state outside of Arkansas and the next time it picks up, I'd be somewhere else, not in Arkansas. So I pay attention to it a little bit, but it's difficult. Plus, I would have to carry a lot more cash around than I'd be entirely comfortable with. There was a few days there where I spent several hundred dollars just in fuel. And then if an RV place took cash, I mean, those can be 50 bucks a night, give or take. You know, I've already been in some places I've stayed for a week. So um, I, would, I would have to carry around thousands upon thousands of dollars if I was doing the whole thing in cash, which creates other issues. Uh, let's see. Uh, he says, I travel a lot on the road with my dog and I know what a smart, resourceful, and detail-oriented person you are. I think there can be a lot of value added. If you elaborate, yeah. And the dog's good and she knows who my closest friends are because when she meets them for the first time, animals can tell that stuff, so she's really good with those individuals. And you identify who you are on all these things. Yeah, so a few other things out there since we're talking about this. So just to go over the training aspect, I got to Arkansas a little over a week ago. I'll be leaving here in a week. I um, After I leave here, so I'm recording this on, I believe, the 15th, I think, Tuesday. So the following week, I will be near Fort Sill, Oklahoma. The town's called Lawton, L-A-W-T-O-N, and I'll be there for almost a week. That'll be a personal part of the trip where I'm going camping with a family. Uh, family that's friends of mine then after that that following week I will be in Wichita for at least a week where David Robinson from DMR Publications as we talked on his show Saturday uh, when I typed in there I will be there we're going to do some stuff so we're not sure how we're going to do it yet what all we're going to do we might do both podcasts might do interviews we might do both YouTube channels, but once we have it figured, we'll let everybody know. We'll post it on social media for both of us. I'll put it on the Intel training page and let people know, especially if it's going to be something live. And I'm sure Ukraine will be a big big part of the discussion. And I'll be there. From there, I will be working my way back. I'll be going to Amarillo, Texas for some weapons training and to see some family. 
and we'll heading back through Arizona. I got some business there. And then after that time frame, I'll be heading up and hitting national parks going north, Grand Canyon, Zion, Yellowstone. Heading up to Idaho and going back to Seattle. The current plan is to be there for about a month. I have a procedure I need to get. And until I get an MRI, I don't know when they can do it. And if uh, that procedure is put off for a couple months, I won't be there very long. And I'll head over and check some stuff out all the way to western Montana, come back for the procedure, and then I'll go back down to Wyoming and all that. The summer is fairly loose. If you're in the areas of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, that's the area I'll primarily be through the summer. Mostly looking at properties, although I want to go see a property in Arkansas I like as well. Then on Labor Day, it looks like I'm going to be back in Oklahoma for a long camping trip again with the same family. And then I'm coming back down to Little Rock right now. I'm scheduling three weeks of time. I just got a, a decent contract to fulfill for a security company where some of the things I talk on here and some other things I will be training them on. So they are trying to get federal contracts. Uh, they've only been around for a few years. They have some security jobs and we're, they're trying to get training that a lot of people don't have, which is stuff I can offer them. So things like de-escalation techniques, conflict resolution, getting information from people, people they run into and talk to, it's gonna help them negotiate contracts, deal with customers or security guards on the job. Detecting deception, reading body language, IXS queuing, we're going over a lot of this stuff, a lot of questioning techniques and elicitation of information, situational awareness stuff that typically these types of organizations don't receive. And we're gonna do a little bit of executive protection stuff, not doing a lot of that, because I've recommended where they get some training, they've already found some of them, because if you're into that kind of thing, there are schools. Excuse me. <coughs> well, that's all. That's the hard part. And not being able to edit. There are schools that have uh, former Secret Service guys, and they are the at the federal level. Those are the best trained guys for executive protection because they, you know, protect all the people we vote for. Now I worked out a deal with them. Because I know some of the guys that work there. And they're actually getting a pretty good price discount on this training. And then um, they're trying to connect me with some other companies. Security and otherwise. So I've booked three weeks. Even though I'm only doing two days with these guys. Initially. We're looking at a third day another time. And I may be able to go out and do some training with some other organizations. Some of it will be the same. Some of it will be uh, weapons training some small unit tactics appropriate to those organizations so that's where I'll be for that time frame and I'm going to talk to a couple guys I might be bringing somebody with me for part of him either another intel guy with some similar training who's spent a long training somebody or another option I don't want to say who it is because I haven't talked to him yet that's saving a launch should probably clue you in now as far as traveling goes since we've asked I think we've covered everything there and the gray man things because a lot of you are into prepping and you have RVs or you have trucks and people plan bug outs. We've talked that. Um, some things I've learned as a new RV owner, one of, one of the most interesting things I learned was first time you do something like this, it's really big and not a weekend. You're going to take too much. 
So I tried not to do that, but I accepted the fact I probably would. And that's been helpful because, of course, I did take too much. But I will be actually trimming down a bit of weight and volume when I get back to Seattle and loading more stuff in my storage unit, figuring out exactly what I need and for how long. Now, one of the things is I carry 50 gallons of water total. My trailer holds 32 gallons. Uh, it's like 32 and a half. And I carry 18 in other storage containers. Because of how I've been traveling, I haven't needed to use the shower on here. So the water's lasted a long time. I still have more than half. And I filled it up in Georgia. I actually didn't have any water in it all the way to Georgia because some of the weather was so cold. And I still have quite a bit of water. So, and most of the water I drink is from the trailer or from my storage containers. I've only bought in water a couple of times. And uh, I've had coffee a couple of times at other places. But almost everything I've consumed that's liquids, I brought with me. So for just me and the dog, the water lasts quite a bit. Assuming you're not showering. So at some point I'm going to go park somewhere for a couple weeks and be totally self-contained and see how long the water lasts with showering. Um, other things about my dog is interesting. Is it's, it's funny how dogs have toys or blankets or treats they like. Everything about that's changed. <laughs> when she wants to eat, her schedule's adjusted. Her eating schedule's probably back on normal, but she doesn't get a lot of the treat times she normally would because she doesn't want them. She enjoys traveling. She enjoys being in the car. She doesn't really mess with her toys. But she's not sad. We play a lot. She gets more exercise. I think she really enjoys going out and seeing animals and birds and squirrels and foxes and all that stuff. So that's been good. Um, other things I've learned is I brought very minimal cooking supplies as far as pots and pans go. Still thinking it was too much, which it was. There's only a few that I'm using. A couple I'm using. A couple more I'll get rid of. I... One thing I thought was smart, it's been helpful, is I have a cooler. It's one of those thicker high-end coolers that retains ice for like nine days, I think. I use that cooler, load it with ice, and I put drinks in containers. Like um, when I had iced tea or beer or larger uh, items that I've wanted to refrigerate because my electric cooler that's set up as a fridge freezer, I uh, can hold a lot of frozen items like meat because I shrink wrap it when you start putting eggs and milk and a few other things the fridge side gets full pretty quick so if you want to go buy like a thing of spinach or vegetables you need to refrigerate it doesn't work out and then I have milk crates for storage I brought one with me and what I keep in there are foods like um, I don't have them all intermixed depends on what I get but right now I have avocados in there and some tomatoes if I buy onions they'll go in there it just depends just so they're all in one place. Um, another helpful tip for people who live like this, buy a urinal. You can get urinals made for RVs that hold up to two liters of liquid. Because I've learned that some states, they don't really have rest stops. They have parking places and they don't have bathrooms. Or if it's an RV place, but you're two in the morning and you're 200 meters from the facilities, those can be helpful. So I'm getting one of those. That's nice to have. Um, let's see, walking around, I've got actually too much cleaning supplies, as much as I keep things cleaned and sanitized more than most people. But I'll, I'll downsize that a little bit. Uh, fuel's been kind of a pain in the ass. 
In some places, diesel's gone up over a dollar uh, since I took off at the beginning of February. Now, obviously, there's world event reasons for that, but that's been painful. Um, let's see. I'm walking around the trailer looking at it. Uh, I bought a really good heavy-duty extension cord, so I have a 50-amp plug-in on the trailer, and those plugins i think it's only 12 feet long so that's great for like an rv spot but in a place like a house you have to drop it down to 15 with adapter so you can plug into a 110 in a house so i bought a heavy duty real high quality uh, extension cord for that it was a 50 footer and it was about 100 bucks for it or 200 bucks for it i didn't buy the 100 footer because of how bulky it was but I brought an extra 50-foot standard orange one. I've had to use that twice. And I don't mind doing it, but I kind of wish I'd bought the 100-footer. But I'm in a more unique situation. I think the 50 would be good for most people. Um, <clears throat> when you look this trailer up, you'll see that there is, on the interior of the trailer next to the cooler, is a, a table that looks like a wall you can take out. I've not even used it because I brought a standard four-foot folding table that I keep in my truck that I prefer to use. So that's made it a lot less maintenance. I've brought a lot of extra stuff in my truck. The bed of my truck's packed because I have a lot of training materials in there. But I'm going to try to downsize some of that. Um, clothes. I, I probably have... At first I thought for a long time I had too many clothes. But I've already ran in a couple situations where... It could be up to a couple weeks before I can do laundry. And then I'm out doing stuff or getting dirty or getting sweaty, and so I'm going through clothes every day or a couple times a day. So the amount of extra clothes I have has been very helpful. Um, the only other thing I'm looking at doing, though, is you know they make reflective blankets, but they make those thicker high-end ones. The way the interior of the trailer's set up, which I kind of hard to explain, I'm actually going to get a bigger one and use binder clips to clip it off to the sides because when the roofs raised like it was here and it was snowing and it got really really cold it was very difficult uh, kind of cold so I tried it with just a towel at one night and just the towel alone made it warmer so if I have one of those reflective blankets I'm not going to care how cold it gets and the reason I had to do that is because I have this electrical issue and with this issue even though I'm plugged in my AC and heater doesn't work otherwise I've been running heat but I think because they're so lightweight, it'll be good to have anyway, because if I'm out somewhere where I don't have power, I'll need the heat. I am looking at some generators to get, whether solar powered or gas powered, because if I have the generator, I can uh, run heat and AC wherever I'm at. It's just not something I'm doing right now. I'm not even going to look at getting one until I downsize so I can create room for it. I actually never used the canvas walls in here until I got to Arkansas, and I'm glad I did. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But the whole trip, I'm like, I'm probably not going to use these, or maybe I should figure it out only take half of them because they're pretty heavy and takes up a lot of room. Now I'm keeping those. Um, I have a lot of extra little gadgets and things I don't really need, but some I'm not going to get rid of. I brought a folding stepladder that was very helpful um, for getting on top setting up the awnings sometimes that makes life easier i also in a kitchen sometimes people have those decorative mats that are cushy to stand on i brought one of those it sits on the floor of the trailer and then right now it's out on the ground in front of the stove 
uh, makes life a lot easier to stand on that because I find myself there all the time heating up water for coffee or tea or cooking because I, I cook most of the time. So that's been a nice thing to have. I didn't bring any of those AstroTurf things. I thought about it. In retrospect, I probably would have used it a couple of times. Not sure I'm going to do that yet. Uh, I don't want to get that crazy about it. I could see the benefit of it if you're somewhere long-term, but two or three days in good weather, uh, I don't know that I'm going to need it. But I, I wonder if I get one made with good cushy grass, Sadie will come out and lay on it more. But she loves being in the trailer. So again, sorry for how this sounds, but I'm having that electrical issue, and it's kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, there's a way around it, but I needed to put one of these out. I still got those other podcasts coming. I'll definitely work this out for both you guys on getting you those bags because um, I have them with me in the trailer. I've just been so busy, and right now I'm rewriting training material and class descriptions. I am working on a website. I've announced that a long time ago. It's not up yet. I don't know when that'll happen. I, I really need to sit down for a week and do it. Uh, let's see if I can make some headway on that in May when I'm back somewhere for a month. Um, but yeah, other than that, shoot me your questions. I'm glad you liked the last episodes for everybody out there. Let me know how things are going. Ask me any more questions you got. Let me know if you're looking into getting some training. I've been doing some and I got more coming for weapons training and uh, a lot of intel based stuff like I talk on here I have still people haven't gotten back to me but that is definitely out there and available and I'm also going to be start doing some small unit tactics for certain organizations so if anything like that appeals to you definitely reach out to me for most of you on here depending on what it is like I said if it's definitely in the area there's not really going to be much of a cost involved unless the cost is related around where we're doing it um, there's, you just got to let me know what you're doing and I'll let you know if it's even going to cost you anything. Cause most of you out there, a lot of the stuff, I'm not charging people. I'm doing it to kind of refine the training. I'm doing it to share knowledge. I'm doing it to get the name out there. I'm doing it to get the company going and the amounts of money I've been getting is, um, trying to finance the trip and I'm trying to keep it to where as much people want to take advantage of that opportunity can before I finally get somewhere and either have a place with a full-fledged school or if I was to just keep doing this and training people this way, eventually that opportunity is going to go away. But right now it's still there, at least through probably the end of the year. Um, for those that haven't communicated with me yet, just let me know what you're doing. Thanks for listening, and I will be back again shortly with more information right here on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.